And the, okay. Welcome to this workshop. I'm Arlene, a compulsive overeater, and your moderator for this session. Hi. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. The topic for this session is We Are Family, Agnostics and Atheists. And our first speaker is Irene. Let's welcome our first speaker. Hi, I'm Irene. I'm a compulsive reader. Hi, Irene. Um, I came into OA August 1972. I had been struggling for two years before that. Uh, well, all my life I was overweight. I had never seen myself in a normal weight uh, from the age of five. Uh, so I really had no recollection of a normal size for me. Um, I had been struggling for the two years before I came into OA with um, trying every single day to get on a diet, and I never completed one day in two years. Um, and at the end of that two years, I was gaining weight at such a fast pace every day that I was wishing I was what I was three days ago. Um, my clothes were just every day tighter on me, and I was more uncomfortable, and uh, I didn't know how it was going to end or if it ever will. I, I just figured that I was going to be, I was entering um, the world of what I called um, the kind that when people stare, um, and um, I was 100 pounds more than I weigh now. And I was um, desperate. I, I, w what actually happened, my back went out. A doctor told me that um, I had osteoporosis in my back. I was 32 years old. And that I would um, be in a wheelchair by the time I was 50 if I didn't do something about the weight. And I gripped onto the desk. And I wanted, I wanted to say, you know, put me in a straitjacket. Do something because I can't stop. I'm... I'm you know, I just, I had made a million promises to my family and everything. I could not stop eating. And um, it was continuous. I don't think I ever went 45 minutes without eating. Um, anyway, that when, and when my back went out, the doctor kind of discharged me. And, you know, I felt like I was being thrown in, you know, to the dogs. And I, I wound up uh, being at my sister's house later on that day crying about it, and my aunt, who had um, arrived from New York, um, she, had, she had lost 75 pounds that year in OA, and um, she told me about OA, and she t told me I'll take you to a meeting tonight. <clears throat> um, when we got to the meeting, I, um, I was very impressed with, um, first of all, I, I was very doubtful that anything, any meeting was going to work for me. And that I had nowhere to go. What was I going to do? You know, this was it. Now what's going to happen to me? So um, at my first meeting, they talked about carbohydrate addiction, which really landed on me because every single thing that I ever, um, that I ever couldn't stop eating. I mean, it did happen to me with lettuce and tomatoes, but it happened to me with 
all the traditional high-carbohydrate foods. I could not stop eating. And once I would start, and that was the thing. They talked about the first bite, and once I would start, I couldn't stop. Um, and so that was mentioned, 24 hours, um, trying, trying this, letting it hurt for 24 hours. That was a concept that really hit me, and other things at the meeting. But the one thing that turned me off was when they talked about God. I, and I, I was, I considered myself, I brought, I'm, I'm a Jew, but I had no spiritual leanings on my spiritual past was atheism and I came from a family that was kind of proud of it and it was like um, only intelligent people uh, would, would know there's no God you know and that's the best I mean my family would would be embarrassed to put themselves in the league with people that believed in God and I was one of those just like my family and um, first of all, we met in a church, and the fact that it was in a church and me going into it was the indication of desperation that I was at, because I would never do that. And, um, and, and when I was in the church and I taught, they talked about God, I thought, oh, you know, this is it. You know, this is, they're trying to pull me in. So I turned around to my aunt, and I said, what is all this God crap? And so she just very quickly said, take what you need and leave the rest. And again, I was in such a desperate place that I, for the first time in my life, I decided not to debate it. And, and I had never done that before. This was totally new for me. And I, um, and I read later in the step book, and the second step, where they talked about removing ourselves from the debating society. So that's exactly what happened to me at that moment. Is that okay? You know, I, I can't disregard everything just for this one thing. So at the end of the meeting, you know, I heard about the carbohydrate addiction, and I heard, you know, but I didn't know if I how I was going to stop it. And I um, talked to somebody. Um, after the meal, someone came over to me after the meeting, and she talked about, um, you know, do you think you can do it? And I said, I don't think so. And we kind of devised what I would eat for breakfast that didn't include a carbohydrate. And then, um, so I thought, okay, I could do that. So then, um, I bet the only thing I said to this woman, I said, there is something that happens to me, though. I... I get this thing, like this devil. I, you know, I'm okay for an hour, maybe, not eating. But all of a sudden, this devil appears in my brain. And it says, you are going to eat. And this little angel is, like, screaming, praying, no, don't. And it's, you know, I just had this thing that was happening to me at this time. And this devil thing was like the addiction. And it was... It knew that it had patience, and it was going to had had more patience than I had. So um, I said to this woman, I, you know, I explained the situation. This happens to me, and it kind of takes over, and then I'm gone. I, mean, I don't want to eat, but it's like I'm driven. I, I I can't. I have to. And so she said to me, "Well, then you what? 
then all you do is ask God to take it because you can't handle it. And, you know, based on the fact that my aunt had said, you know, leave God here. That's, that's what she said. To leave God here, take what you need and leave the rest. And then this woman said, just ask God to take it because you can't handle it. And the fact that she tagged on, you can't handle it, that was a new concept for me. I mean, I didn't know until that, until that night that I couldn't handle it. And my brain can't handle it. My thinking can't handle it because I will eventually eat. So um, I went home that day and true, true to form, I mean, I went home that evening and started abstaining the next day. And the, those things came up, you know, when I, when I wanted to eat those foods. I mean, because in the first days of my abstinence, it was very difficult because the addiction was in full fury. And I really had times that I thought, I can't do it like those people. And I just, at, you know, just having no other recourse, I said, God, take it. I can't handle it. And it was vanished at that moment. And, and it, if it came up again, ten minutes later, five seconds later, I did the same thing. God, take it. I can't handle it. It's like a, um, it's a kind of an announcement to myself or the fact is that I am so weak. And I had never thought of that, about that before, that I was so weak that I can't handle these foods. So that's the way I started using God. Just And I didn't even know it until I looked back on my past. I didn't even know that I looked, that that was the very beginning for me in using God. Um, and, yeah, I would have, I never used the word at home, but in my head it was, God, take it, I can't handle it. Still use that, that, that goes for everything. Um, as time went on and I was abstaining, um, and I was getting more into the steps, and reading the big book, I, um, I was not interested in developing a relationship with a higher power or even thinking about it because my, um, I, was, I was very intent on getting the food thing out of the way. Um, I didn't even know that I was all, I didn't even realize at the time that I was already using this prayer, God take it, I can't handle it. And... Um, but I, I knew that I was just on the first step. That, that's the way I felt. And then I started reading the big book. And in the last sentence in the chapter on the agnostics, in the big book of AA, the sentence says, okay, I'm talking about food, so it's slightly different than what it says in the big book. But it says, uh, our defense against the first fight must come from a higher power. And I, when I read that the first time, I started getting palpitations because I thought, ah, you know, I want, I don't want, my, I was starting to lose weight. I was feeling better. I knew I had a disease and it was so relieving to know that. And um, and I started, my heart started palpitating. I thought, uh, you know, cause 
this was something that I, I was going to have to do this. If I wanted my abstinence to continue, which was paramount to me and still is, I would have to do something. And I had a sponsor, and she was a very spiritual, spiritually based sponsor. And one of the reasons why I picked her because she was extremely gentle. And but I but I did I didn't really relate to her spirituality at all at the time. So uh, God put her in my life for a reason, because I said to her, I am I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm I, I'm faced with this. I you know it's it's an embarrassment to me to use the word God. I can barely say the word at at my house. Um, during around my family, it's a no-no. And um, I'm not comfortable with it. I'm still not comfortable. This is 33 years later. And I'm still not comfortable with that. It doesn't matter. I use it anyway. Um, So um, she said to me, so I asked my sponsor, what can I do? She says, you you must have at one time in your life as a child had a concept of a higher power. And so uh, of a God in your life. And I did. I did when I was like eight years old, nine years old. And at the time in my life, when I was 10 years old, um, my mother had gotten very sick. And um, I was being taken care of at my grandmother's house. And I was there for several days. And my mother was in a very serious, very very, uh, critical condition. And everybody was morose and very worried about what was going to happen to my mother. And um, on a Sunday morning at my grandmother's house, the phone rang, and it was my uncle, and it was my father. And I just, and I went into my grandmother's bathroom, and I sat there, and I said to myself, if God takes my mother today, I'll never believe in him again. And if he doesn't, I will be the best girl in the world. I will never do anything wrong. Of course, I was 10 years old. And... Um, and I got out of the bathroom and I found out that my mother had died. And I said to myself, God doesn't exist. And that was the end of it. And so, but before that, I did have a concept of God. And so my sponsor said, well, use that concept and just know that God is always protecting you. And look around all day long and notice how God works. And just start to pretend that God is working for you. Use it all day long. And the fact that I was open to this, the fact that I was open to her suggestions, is uh, an indication of how serious and dedicated I was to continuing my abstinence. Um, I didn't want to go back to the way I was, and that's at the crux of this whole thing for right now. That's why I'm speaking today. Because I'm afraid to speak. It scares me. I, but I do it because I want my abstinence to continue. I need to pass it on. So what I started to do, I started to act as if I believed. And um, I pretended that God was taking care of me all the time. Everywhere I went, um, I started to do that. And I just ignored my atheism and I decided that just God was protecting me. Everything I did, all the food I ate, preparing, going to the store, not eating the foods that were going to do me in, that I was addicted to. 
And, um, and I just started to live that way without the, the when, I, when I dug into my heart, I really didn't believe that I believed. But I, and to this day it's the same. But I don't, I can't afford to do that. Because that, someone once said, don't analyze the program, just do it. So, um, I don't analyze it, I don't look at it, I just do it. Um, that has brought me to step three, where I felt protected, and that I understood that God was running the show, and that I started to feel like I was turning my will over to God, and I tried to get in touch with what God's will was for me. And um, and doing that and repeating that and having that focus 24 hours a day, not understanding that things were happening before me and it was in God's plan. And then um, I, that readied me to be able to do a fourth step and uh, go on into the other steps with the program. Without that true development of a higher power, I don't think I would have been able to do the rest of the program. I did feel it escalated my program. And um, the 11th step is something that is with me 24 hours a day. I'm always looking during the day what God's will is for me. I do things today that is not natural for me to do. There's very few things in life that I really feel like doing except looking forward to my meals. Not even looking forward to them, eating them. That is really what I really look forward to doing in life. I have to um, use God to help me get up in the morning so I could swim every day, to go for a walk every day. If there's a, a scrap of dirt on the floor, I have to ask God to help me bend over to pick it up. Getting up out of bed, uh, brushing my teeth, flossing. These are menial, doing the bed after, as soon as I get up. Now, these sound like nothing to some people. Why? Doing the bed. But for me, I, would have, I like a bed made that way. That's why I think it's God's will for me that I make my bed. Because I, li I like to get into a fresh bed at night. And I like to see the bed looking good. And, you know, some people don't mind that. So maybe that's not God's will for them. But for me, it's important. But I don't want to do it. You know, so there's, it has, what, what it has done for me. So everything, everything I do, it's a 24-hour it's thing. You know, God is in my mind from the moment I awake to the end of the day. Most things I do all day long I don't want to do. So what I do is I pray in a God that I really don't believe in. I mean, when I truly look into myself. And this acting as if has given me the power I need to stay abstinent. And that's all I want is the power to stay abstinent. It's given me a productive life, which is not really what I've been here for. A productive life and a peace of mind, um, not all the time, but at times that it's when, thing, when, I, when I understand some things to be totally out of my control and I need to do to get in touch with God's will to find out what I could do about it and on my end. That's all I have to do is do my end and the rest God will take care of. Thank you very much.
Our second speaker is Ms. Hi, I'm Ms. Compulsive Reader. Hi, everybody. Glad to be here today. Um, signing my life away. Um, well, um, I came to OA just briefly when, in 1979 when I was 17 years old and um, didn't get the program until about three years after that. And I've been absent since then. And um, one of the things that really tripped me up was this whole God thing. Um, and part of the reason was that I had been raised a particular religion that I felt had a very punishing God. And so this God was always out to get me, was out to punish me, throw lightning bolts at me. Um, and so I really got hung up on how can I turn my will and my life over this terrible thing. Um, and so for my first five, about my first five years of abstinence, I really had a hard time um, and my favorite chapter in the book at the time, of course, was We Agnostics. Um, just because of the way it thinks, is like I can really follow this line of reasoning in this, um, in this chapter. Um, and uh, some of the things that really, uh, some of the lines that I've absolutely loved over the years that have really helped me it, um, are, if I can, of course I dog ear the page. Actually, one of them's in there is a solution, and it says, um, <clears throat> Uh, they're talking about the guy who um, went to see Dr. Yoon. And he says, you have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. I've never seen one case recover where the state of mind existed to the extent that it does in you. He says, is there no exception? Yes, replied the doctor. Exceptions to cases such as yours have been occurring since early times. Here and there, once in a while, alcoholics have had what are called vital spiritual experiences. To these, these occurrences are phenomena. They appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding forces of the lives of these men, are suddenly cast to one side, and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. And then on the next page it says, uh, We in our turn sought the same escape with all the desperation of drowning men. What it seemed at first a flimsy reed has proved to be the loving and powerful hand of God. Um, and and basically this is what this is basically what happened to me is that I had a spiritual experience and my spiritual experience was there's a God and it's not me um, because I, there was this mean thing in the in the sky which I rejected and so I kind of made myself my own higher power and so my spiritual experience was that there is a God and it's not me and that as soon as I um, began on the footing of being open and willing to believe that there is a higher power, a loving higher power. It doesn't say turn our will and our lives over the care of a mean higher power. Um, that I began to, to recover. Um, and over time, you know, I, I, I've been given various assignments about the higher power. Like I said, it took me about five years to detox from that punishing God. And um, during that time, I did various assignments. One was... Um, Write a one ad, this is so hokey now that I think about it this long time, write a one ad for your higher power, you know. And then, um, you know, write, you know, so you write this, you know, wanted higher power, and these are all the things the higher power is going to be and do for me. Um, and then and then I um, had to create the job description for the higher power. Um, and uh, 
And that was that was really, you know, these are all things that were part of the process. And about five five years of abstinence, I finally got it that I I didn't that 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 punishing God was gone, and that the higher power that I believed in was um, not a religious higher power, and I'm not religious. Um, it was a, a spiritual feeling, and it was almost like um, my disease and compulsive overeating got me to the point of suicide. And I really thought that the only way to stop eating was to kill myself. And, um, and so what happened basically was that it's almost like, like my higher power kicked in, and that was like the, the instinct for survival that... Um, because the instinct for destruction was, was taken over me and I was going to destroy myself. But at the very last minute, you know, not that I was there with the razor blade or anything, but um, at, the, at, the, at the point of, you know, desperation, like it talks about, all the desperation of drowning men, and I was so desperate that, um, that, the, that this, um, this whole new thing happened, just like it talked about here, where all of a sudden I started feeling different things. I had different attitudes. I didn't hate myself. Um, you know, I didn't want to eat, you know, because part of this whole step two thing was step one, which is um, it all kind of happened at once for me uh, that I admitted that I was powerless over food. And that was a really hard one, too, you know, to, to really admit that I am powerless over food. I mean, it's just food, you know. I'm I'm a person, you you know, people are people, and they're eating whatever, and I should eat it too. I mean, what's wrong with me? Um, and so when I finally took the first step, that admitting that I was powerless over food, then the second step almost happened by default, which was I better believe that there's a power greater than myself, or I'm basically screwed, because I finally have realized and admitted to my innermost self that I'm powerless over food. And that means that I need a higher power, something that has more power than me to solve this food problem. And so, so then, then I started believing in this higher power. I, and again, I, I couldn't define it. I had to quit the debating society and, you know, if there's a God, why do all these bad things happen? And, you know, was it chicken or the egg and all that stuff? You know, I had to just like, you know what? Those are arguments that are, are, and I can't even, like, go there now. You know, I have to just, like, have that blind faith. I've got the blinders on. And that's okay because that works for me, you know, because I see all kinds of stuff happening in the world and I don't understand why these things happen. And I ha But I have to just trust wholeheartedly in my higher power. And after, you know, a long time in recovery, I finally do trust wholeheartedly in my higher power. And there was another thing in here that I, I like um, in We Agnostics that kind of defines my higher power too. It says, yet we had been seeing another kind of flight, a spiritual liberation from this world. People who rose above their problems, they said God made these things possible and we only smiled. We had seen spiritual release, but we liked to tell ourselves it wasn't true. Actually, we were fooling ourselves, for deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. It may be obscured by calamity, by pomp, by worship of other things. But in some form or other, it is there. For faith in a power greater than ourselves and miraculous demonstrations of that power in human lives are facts as old as man himself. We finally saw that faith in some kind of God was a part of our makeup, just as much as the feeling we have for a friend. Sometimes we had to search fearlessly, but he was there. 
He was as much a fact as we were. We found the great reality deep down within us. In the last analysis, it is only there that he may be found, and it is was so with us. Um, and another, I think what this paragraph helped me to also understand is that, um, you know, I had, I made a lot of things my higher power. I had a lot of faith in my life. The problem was I put my faith in the wrong things and in the wrong people. And so I was always turning my will in my life over to whatever boyfriend I had, whatever job I had, whatever my parents thought of me, whatever my friends thought of me, whatever, you know, you name it. And I was like this you know, bouncing off the wall kind of person. Like at my, my higher power turned out to be whatever, I had a higher power of the day almost, you know. Like, oh, today, if, if, if these things happen, then I'm okay. Or if that person likes me, then I'm okay. Or if my parents start off arguing, then I'm okay. You know, and so I was always placing my outcome in the hands of something else. And so when I finally realized how much I was doing that and how, how often I did that, um, then it was almost easy to go, okay, well, you know, I'm so used to turning my will and my life over to the wrong things. Maybe I should try turning them over to this, this God, this higher power, rather than turning them over to, you know, mostly sick people, you know, <laughs> or sick situations. And, um, and that made it easier for me because I was able to let go of all the negative stuff and just have that, that faith that um, that the higher power is there and is and is making my life better uh, you know the miraculous demonstrations you know I mean every time I, I wanted to eat and didn't I mean how many how many times you know especially in my early recovery you know that you know when I first got abstinent it was still kind of I mean I had this like pink cloud kind of thing happening and the compulsion was lifted so it was really easy for me to not want to eat and so so that lasted about six months, and then kind of reality sets in, and life on life's terms, and, you know, I don't get what I want, and I'm pissed off, and, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, you know, I better start working my program here. And, um, and every time that that compulsion came up, most of the time I had to just admit that I was powerless over food and not try and fight it, because I'm powerless. You know, I'm powerless over the compulsion. I'm powerless over food. So when that compulsion comes up, I admit I'm powerless over food. My life is unmanageable. I believe that a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity. Sanity means no compulsion, you know, and, and I turn my will and my life over. And almost every single time that works. And when that doesn't work, I usually make a phone call and that works. Um, because, you know, it, 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 it's just such a part of my, my makeup now, you know, and part of, of who I am and what I do, it, it's just like it's becoming second nature now that um, there's no compulsion with food. There is a God. And my job today is to find and do God's will for me. And um, a lot of time I don't know what God's will for me is. And that makes it hard because I want, you know, I want the, the letter from God that says, okay, Mish, today these are the things that you need to accomplish or decisions you need to make or whatever. And it doesn't work like that. And so I have to just trust that God knows what God is doing, that God sees the bigger picture, and I certainly don't, and that all I have to do is put my abstinence first, be of service as much as I possibly can, um, be, be in recovery, you know, live a recovered life, 
and and the answers will come, and they do, you know, and they don't always come the way I want them to, um, but they come, and and or when I want them to, or anything. So I just have to um, trust this thing, know that it works, know that um, that I'm not in charge, and uh, and and then and things are fine, you know. Um, like I said, I don't I don't always get what I want or when I want it or whatever, but I do know that um, that you know higher power is there. Um, and I like this part here at the very end where they're talking about the minister's son, and it says in this book you will read the experience of a man who thought he was an atheist. This story is so interesting that some of it should be told now. This change of heart was dramatic, convincing, and moving. Our friend was a minister's son. He attended church school, where he became rebellious at what he thought was an overdose of religious education. For years thereafter, he was dogged by trouble and frustration, business failure, insanity, fatal illness, suicide. These calamities in his immediate family embittered and depressed him. Post-war disillusionment, ever more serious alcoholism, impending mental and physical collapse, brought him to the point of self-destruction. And I was at that point. One night, when confined in a hospital, he was approached by an alcoholic who had known a spiritual experience. Our friend's gorge rose as he bitterly cried out, If there is a God, he certainly hasn't done anything for me. But later, alone in his room, he asked himself the question, Is it possible that all the religious people I have known are wrong? While pondering the answer, he felt as though he lived in hell. Then, like a thunderbolt, the great thought came. It crowded out all else. Who are you to say there is no God? This man recounts that he tumbled out of bed to his knees. In a few seconds, he was overwhelmed by a conviction of the presence of God. It poured over and through him with the certainty and majesty majesty of a great tide at flood. The barriers he had built through the years were swept away. He stood in the presence of infinite power and love. He stepped from the bridge to the shore. For the first time, he lived in conscious companionship with his creator. Thus, our friend's cornerstone was fixed. No later vicissitude has shaken it. His alcoholic problem was taken away. That very night, years ago, it disappeared. Save for a a few minutes of temptation, the thought of drink has never returned. And at such times, a great revulsion has risen up in him. Seemingly, he could not drink even if he would. God has restored his sanity. But what is this but a miracle of healing? Yet its elements are simple. Circumstances made him willing to believe. He humbly offered himself to his maker Then he knew. Even so, has God restored us all to our right mind. To this man, the revelation was sudden. Some of us grow into it more slowly, but he has come to all who have honestly sought him. When we drew near to him, he disclosed himself to us. And, you know, I mean, this is my story, and, you know, I was so desperate. Um, I thought it was never going to work for me, and I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life compulsively eating, throwing up, compulsively exercising, and, um, and you know, this happened to me. And if it can happen for me, it, it can happen for anybody, you know. I mean, I was a, I was a pretty low-bottom compulsive overeater. And, um, you know, by, because of the spiritual experience that I had, by the grace of God, you know, I've been abstinent for, you know, over half my life. And I'm just so grateful for that. So, thank you. Our third speaker is Michael. Hi, my name is Michael. I'm a compulsive reader. Hi. It's funny. One of my uh, one of my beefs was the way the way they always arrange the chairs so tight and compressed. I, I don't know what it is, but 
Um, anyway, I didn't even... It's not in my notes. I actually said something that was in my notes. Um, when I came into program, I was pretty miserable. So what I'm going to do is kind of like do pre-program before I came into program um, as far as... Um, as far as God's concerned, I guess. But uh, one of the things I really like uh, in the big book, and, and it's pretty direct, it just says, lack of power, that was our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live, and it had to be a power greater than ourselves, obviously. But where and how were we to find this power? And it says that's what the big book's all about. Um, when I was growing up, I was raised Catholic, um, did the communion, the confirmation, all that stuff. And... Um, it, you know, it was what it was, and I'm not here to knock any religion, because I used to do that in program, and, and that's, you know, to me it's not a healthy thing to do. Because, um, you know, if it's good, whatever works for people, whatever helps people, you know, I think it's great, uh, in or out of this program. Um, it didn't work for me, and uh, it was funny, because I remember when I was about seven or eight, sitting in church, that I really didn't want to be at, um, my mom would give me the envelope to put into the, the basket when they passed the basket for their version of the seventh tradition. And it was usually quarters. So, um, for some reason, I had this idea. Okay, God, if you're out there, you got to prove it to me. So, I uh, rubbed the envelope where the quarters were to make the impression that there was quarters there. And then I took the quarters out. And I said, if you want me to put the quarters back in, you got to kick my foot up. You know? Because, you know, I was like short enough where I wasn't touching the ground. Never happened. So, I kept the quarters. You know? And so even at a young age, I was questioning the existence you know, of a higher power. And, um, you know, I did that quite a few times and uh, had ice cream money, I guess, at that age. So anyway, um, or else, I guess from there, um, you know, it just progressed that, um, you know, the older and I was a heavy kid. I mean, I was when I was four, I was chubby. The older I got, you know, the heavier I got. When I was nine, my dad passed away, and that's when, you know, life pretty much changed a lot. And that's when I got really isolated and uh, introverted and started uh, packing on the food. So, you know, as time went by, um, you know, for me, it, it wasn't a really happy life in some sense. But in other senses, it was because I had a good circle of friends at the time and preferred hanging out with them than my family. And... Um, by the time I got to uh, to uh, high school, besides food, I was doing you know drugs and alcohol. And uh, by junior college, um, I was one angry person. Um, I was disillusioned with with life, um, with politics, with the way the world was run. You know the way that you know you know if this is God's plan, I don't want any part of it. You know that's where I was at. Um, and I got to that point where. I was like, <laughs> homicidal or suicidal. I mean, I was that. And God forbid somebody catch me at the wrong time on the wrong day because, you know, all those years of pent-up anger was going to be coming out on your ass real quick. And, you know, I was just, yeah. So, you know, I wasn't very happy. And I guess a, a good way to, for a demonstration on that would be uh, on page 52 in the big book. Uh, you know, they were talking about lunar flight. And then the, the next paragraph, it says, we had to ask ourselves, why shouldn't we apply to our human problems the same readiness to change our point of view. We were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were a prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. 
we couldn't seem to be of any real help to other people. Was not a basic solution to these bedevilments more important than whether we should see newsreels of lunar flight? Of course it was. And then um, I discovered one day, if I mirrored those numbers, 52, I came up with 25, then there is a solution. And here, and here it says, there is a solution. Almost none of us like the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confessions of our shortcomings, which the process requires for a successful consummation. But we saw that it really worked in others, and we had to come to believe in, hope, in the hopelessness and futility of life as we had been living it. When, therefore, we were approached by those in whom the problem had been solved, there was nothing left for us but to pick up that simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. We have found much of heaven, and we have been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence, of which we had not even dreamed. The great fact is just this, and nothing less, that we have had deep and effective spiritual experiences, which have revolutionized our whole attitude toward life, toward our fellows, and toward God's universe. The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us which we could never do by ourselves. If you are a seriously alcoholic or a compulsive overeater as we were, we believe there is no middle-of-the-road solution. We were in a position where life was becoming impossible, and we had passed into a region from which there is no return through human aid. We had but two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could. The other, to accept spiritual help. And when I came into this program, I weighed over 300 pounds. I was angry, uh, miserable, didn't like life. And it was basically, you know, a kind of divine inf uh, intervention from my chiropractor that got me here. Because uh, at that size, and even I was, I think I was, you know, 20, in my early 20s when my back was seriously going out on me. And back then they had this hydraulic table that would sit straight up, and then I'd put my feet in the little uh, platform, and then it would raise because I was in so much pain I couldn't get on the table when it was uh, horizontal. And... Uh, it was only rated at 250 pounds, and since I was well over that, um, I went in there one time, and, and she says, um, this is the last time I'm going to fix you. If you can't, if you don't care enough about yourself to take care of yourself, I'm not going to fix you anymore. And she had recommended diets and skinny schools and all these things, and nothing, none of that shit helped. Um, in fact, my last diet lasted an hour. You know, I started at 9, it was over at 10, and, and you know, it was the best I could do. That was my plan. So... Um, she gave me a phone number, and had I known what it was about, I probably never would have called, but I was so desperate at that point because, you know, I, I was just, you know, I paid the price of admission like all of us did, that pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization of being that big, not being able to sit in chairs, you know, not feeling comfortable in my own skin, you know, all that crap. So um, it, it turned out to be an eating disorder unit in Southern California where I was living at the time. And um, thank God the, the director of the program was in OA himself. So, um, you know, once the insurance thing was taken care of, I was admitted, and that's where I got exposed to this program, um, to the big book, to the 12 and 12, because we didn't have our own literature then, except for the four today and some pamphlets. And, um, you know, and, and I was able to realize, even though I was, like, still fogged, because, you know, like uh, Lewis was talking about last night, he was doing, you know, a lot more crank than, you know, and uppers than I was. I mean, I was doing the cocaine and beer diet. And anyone that's been to AA meetings knows these guys that talk about drinking and they're the skinny alcoholic because they just weren't hungry. Well, <laughs> you know, I was at 300 pounds doing coke and drinking and smoking pot. And, you know, I was just getting heavier and heavier. So, um, you know, it was pretty foggy when I came in. And, um, but I could see that the program worked because, you know, once I got past 
and, and I have to be honest, I, I absolutely hated OA when I first came in. I did not like anything about it. And we were forced to go to six meetings a week, and thank God, because I was in for nine weeks. It was an inpatient unit. So when I got out, I thought, well, maybe one, one meeting a week, you know. And, you know, and I haven't stopped coming since. And that is definitely God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. And, you know, uh, prior to that, um, before going into the unit, I was definitely agnostic. Um, you know, didn't like the way um, anything was going in my life. Didn't like what I learned about God growing up. Um, but once I came in, you know, I, I heard stuff was working for people. And um, so, you know, as, as small as my conception of God was at that time, it was enough to, to get going in the program. And then, you know, of course, I didn't do the program. I did my program for about three or four years. Um, that didn't work very well. Um, the minute I took alcohol back, I started eating again, which was like, I lost about 90 pounds in six months. Um, you know, nine and a half of that, weeks of that being in the, in the eating disorder unit. I think I dropped 50 in that nine weeks. Um, but when I finally got a clue, I got a sponsor, I started working the steps. And I was having some success in the program, but I was still actually feeling more guilty now because um, whenever I screwed up, you know, I'm thinking, well, you know, I've lost a lot of weight. I'm in program. I shouldn't be screwing up. And then because the God I had back then was still that old punishing God, you know, like it was mentioned here before. And, um, you know, so I felt actually worse um, than I did before program. Of course, when you don't eat and you're not doing drugs and alcohol, all those feelings come up, you know, because it's one thing I've heard in this program is, is, you know, it makes you feel better. It makes you feel anger better. It makes you feel all that other crap better, too. And the good stuff, too. I mean, I, I can't take away from that. So I, I, uh, I was living in Davis at the time, and I got involved with a, a, a good fellowship out there. And there was a guy, who, a friend of mine who was an AA, who uh, told me about this underground big book study. You know, it wasn't sanctioned by AA or OA or anything. This guy was just doing it on his own. So I went there, and um, that was one of the very um, major things in my life that turned around my spirituality. Because by then, you know, then it was more religious than spiritual. And in that big book study, um, and it's so funny because uh, I was talking to Sherry yesterday about this. In the, in the big book, uh, and, and how it works, they have the 12 steps in there. And in step 3 and step 11, both of them emphasize the God of our understanding, and it's italicized. And I, I think because I've been in for so long, you know, I just kind of look past things now and I, I forgot that, you know, when they italicize something in the big book, it's usually pretty important, you know. And, you know, it gives us a lot of freedom to pick and choose what kind of higher power we want. So when I was in that big book study, um, the guy had this big um, easel and he drew a line right down the middle, a little bit across the top. Almost looked like a cross, but that wasn't what he was going for. Um, on one side, he had what I had, and on the other side, what I need. And everybody started throwing out, you know, what I had. You know, I had a judgmental, angry God, no sense of humor, punishing. I was never good enough, didn't like sex, unforgiving, you know, lethal. Um, and that turned out to be all the kind of stuff that, you know, humans are capable of. And then on the other side, we put what I need. Uh, someone who's open-minded, happy, peaceful, great sense of humor, like sex, forgiving, generous, loves me as I am, wants the best for me, and is life-affirming. You know, and that's just kind of a brief list because when you got ten people, you know, it got to be pretty extensive. But you know, that's when I realized I had to fire my old God and hire a new one. 
And I was scared to death. I swear to God, when I, you know, when I made that decision to fire the oval, and I was expecting that lightning bolt to come and just, you know, blow me to bits, you know, and it didn't. So that's when I started focusing on that part of, you know, my spiritual program, you know. And from there, it's just progressed. Because um, after that, I started listening to other people, uh, what their spirituality was. I started going to bookstores in the spiritual section, uh, you know, and just keeping an open mind, you know, and not disregarding anything religious just because it's religious. Um, what I had to do was what this program says, is take what I like and leave the rest. I had to listen to my feelings. And if it was something that felt right and felt good, then, you know, I would, I would take that in. And if it didn't feel right and I didn't understand it, then I'd let it go. And, um, you know, it's been a, a journey ever since. Um, so I guess um, part of what, for me, what it is, is, is kind of like making up my own spirituality. But, um, you know, I don't know if anybody remembers Bruce Lee here. But um, being the person I am, I like, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and I ended up reading a book about him. And it was pretty incredible, you know, his story, because... He was trained in just, you know, one martial art growing up, but then he started learning other disciplines. And what he did is he combined everything he learned from all those other disciplines. And that's one of the reasons he was like, you know, the best uh, martial artist out there, because he could change something in the middle of a move if, if somebody was throwing something at him. And he ended up, you know, designing his own martial art called Jeet Kune Do. And um, it was just like, you know, that's kind of how I want my spirituality to be. Because what I've learned, the longer I'm in this program, the more I learn, the less I know. You know, I can't define a higher power. There, there's no way to put a limit on that, you know. For me, sometimes it's male. Sometimes it's female. Sometimes it's just this big energy, you know, white light thing. Um, it's a lot of things, you know. And, and I appreciate the fact that we have that freedom to pick and choose what we want in this program because if it was, you know, so dogmatic that it was just one way, you know, and, and that was it, I, we wouldn't have the success rate we have in this in this program and in the other programs because um, it would be so limiting. And, and how can you put limits on God? I mean, you just can't. Um, anyway, um, I guess um, where I'm going to go now then because I have five left. Um, some of the spiritual experiences I had, uh, you know, before and during program. And, and one that uh, really comes to mind is, um, I think I was still in high school. It's when I was partying a lot. And a, a group of us had decided to play cards, uh, drink a pony keg of beer, and smoke pot for about two hours, and then go play frisbee golf. And drink more beer and smoke more pot. So we were pretty toasted when we left. And uh, we were taking this transition road, and there was three of us in my friend's swearback Volkswagen. Uh, two guys were sitting in the front. They were cousins, and, you know, one of them was my best friend. And I was sitting in the back, in the middle of the seat, rather than on one side or the other. And um, we were doing about 90 miles an hour around this transition road when the car pitched sideways. Now, I don't know if you guys remember the old swearback Volkswagens, but, you know, those things are not very... Uh, racy type cars they're not meant to go that quick around turns and it didn't roll I mean that thing should have looked like a squeezed dish rag by the you know by all means we actually ended up passing the car going sideways smoke flying everywhere and ended up in the safety lane you know and when I look back uh, you know to me God's hand was on that car the whole time had I been sitting on one side or the other you know who knows what would have happened you know the weight distribution might have thrown it off and 
you know, I wouldn't be here today. I don't know. But, you know, when I think back my life, you know, how things have gone, I've had a lot of spiritual experiences, you know, great like that and, and small, but they all add up. And they all come to that proof, like Lewis was talking about last night, you know. He was a lot more, you know, atheist than, than I ever was. And, you know, when he couldn't pick up the phone to call the pizza guy, you know, he knew something was happening in him. And when I was doing my first fifth step, you know, when I gave away my fourth step, all that weight, all that anger, all that crap just lifted. And I felt that presence come in. You know, and, and mine's more of the, the Dr. Bob variety than the bill. I didn't have the big blinding flash of light. Mine's more, you know, it's been very, very slow for me to get to where I'm at today. And it's still slow in a lot of ways, you know. I'm still pretty stubborn when it comes to things. You know, I have my faults, but, you know, I'm looking at it and I'm working on it. And um, the other one was the ninth step when I was making amends. When I started going around and making amends and learning how to work this program and what the steps are and trying to live by the principles behind them, you know, I had that that happened for me. You know, and I lost 138 pounds at one time. And I thought I knew it was best for everybody in program. thought I knew better than program. So what did I do? One more time, I did my program. And what happened? I gained about three-quarters of my weight back. And uh, I was in relapse on again and off again for about 12 years. Currently, I'm about uh, a little over three years of abstinence. And the last year, this has been a lot harder this time around than the first time around. The first time abstinence was a gift. This time, I'm working my ass for it. And, uh, you know, it, it hasn't been easy. But when, in fact, another little divine intervention was when, you know, Sherry called and asked me to speak, I kept talking about I want to start getting back into praying and meditating at night because I do it in the morning. And I thought, well, this is a good time to do it because if I'm going to come here and speak, you know, I want to feel, you know, calm and secure and all that. And for me, the only time I've gotten that way is when I use my higher power or let him use me, however that works. So since then, I've been, almost every night, I've been doing a 10th step and then, you know, the prayer and meditation. And if I don't get to do it at night, I'll go back, I do it in the morning. And, um, you know, it just feels great. And for me, I think I'm just going to end with, uh, with spirituality meaning to me. Um, it's just being me, accepting life on life's terms, surrendering, uh, being less selfish, uh, letting people learn their lessons, um, realizing that we're all connected in some way, uh, and, and, and having fun, just you know, laughing at myself. Because I, I screw up more times. In fact, a lot of in Sacramento where I'm at, I always just tell everybody I'm in the OA retard program because you know I've been around for 22 years and I'm still, you know, screwing up left and right, and you know, but I'm doing my best and, and learning how to laugh at myself. And uh, I think the last thing I like here in the big book. Um, I'm going to close with. It's in the appendix. And of course, I didn't dog ear it, so it's taken me a little while here. But uh, it's a uh, appendix on the spiritual experience, which I really like. And um, it says at the very end, most emphatically, we wish to say that any compulsive eater capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and an open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery. But these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. And that principle is content prior to investigation. Thank you.
three-minute shares. Please limit your shares to these three minutes. Please stick to the topic. Be sure you have signed the uh, tape release form when you come up here. Thank you all for your shares. <coughs> I'm Bob, a compulsive overeater. Hi, Bob. I uh, also struggle with the uh, God word. And um, it's uh, the mind is a fascinating thing. I uh, uh, had to go to the dictionary and uh, look up uh, some definitions because uh, I was struggling with uh, a uh, description of my higher power. And uh, it says the mind is the element or complex, or uh, pardon me for my focals here, or complex of elements in an individual that feels, perceives, thinks, wills, and especially reasons. Now, there's three parts to the mind. And uh, the ego is um, one division of the psyche in uh, psychoanalytical theory that serves as the organized conscious mediator between the person and reality, especially by functioning both in the perception and adaptation to reality. Uh, that's your conscious mind, your willfulness. That's uh, how you uh, interact with people, places, and things. Uh, the id is that that's part of your uh, psyche that is uh, completely unconscious and is the source of psychic energy derived from instinctual needs and drives. So we can cross out the id. Now, the superego. The superego is that part of your psyche that is only partially conscious, represents internalization of parental consciousness and um, the rules of society and functions to reward and punish through systems of moral attitudes, conscious, and the sense of guilt. Now, for me, my higher power is a loving parent. And it wants the best for me. And it knows everything that I've studied, all the uh, diet books, all the uh, nutritional information that I have. And I am able to turn my life and my food plan over to my superego, which in turn guides my hand when I'm cooking, and it uh, lets me know when I'm satisfied instead of stuffing myself. And it works fantastic for me. Uh, as far as God is concerned, um, I don't believe in God. But I can use God, the word God, in my prayers. Because spirituality is a very important part of this uh, uh, program. But spirituality doesn't necessarily mean religion or religious you know, attributes, whatever. Thank you. Um, I'm Dana, compulsive overeater. Um, I wanted to share a little thing that I said at a meeting recently when I was trying to communicate uh, how much my life had changed for the better uh, over a period of uh, working program. 
and for a little background, I just, like so many people, I was so turned off by the Word God, and it was so difficult for me to get past that. And um, from the time I was a teenager, I was just, I was a really angry, rampaging, iconoclastic intellectual that <laughs> just, you know, uh, anything smacking of organized religion and any of that was just uh, so bad. And all of my friendships were built around that, uh, all my relationships in my life. You know, we were all people who were too smart to believe in God. And uh, we tended to be depressed a lot. We were always really proud of that because we were so bright and sensitive that, you know, the world was just, we just couldn't deal with it. But anyway, uh, through going through the process that has been described so well by a lot of other people and being desperate and being forced to um, uh, accept some things and open my mind, uh, I came to an understanding that there is such a thing as a force for good, a force of love, that part of ourselves that is reaching upward, that wants to be giving love to other people and wanting to make the world a better place. And it occurred to me, you know, this force is generally called God in English. And do in French and Dios in Spanish and Panbu in Czech and get over it, you know. And uh, <laughs> so that, that little thing has helped me a lot. So I just wanted to share that. I will now um, ask these questions from the question box. And I guess if it sounds like you, one of you can answer them, please come answer it. <clears throat> How do you do your nighttime prayer that you talked about? What I do is I take it right out of the big book. Um, I believe it's page 84, 85, right around there, 86, that says when we retire at night. And then from there it goes through the 10th step. And then I just go through the questions they have in there and I answer them. And then when that's done, you know, I just do my usual prayer and meditation, which is basically, that's when I do my gratitude. You know, thank you for being absent tonight, today, um, whatever else I went through that day, um, whatever else I'm grateful for. And then I try to do the uh, the quiet, you know, radio silence in the mind, which <laughs> maybe in another 20 years I'll get maybe five minutes of total silence, you know. That's my goal. So that's what I do. Thanks. How do you continue to believe in higher power through tragedies, family deaths, etc., etc.? I often get angry or blame my HP. Uh, when it happens, it's a shock, and um, nothing has. I've been uh, absent for 33 years. Nothing has happened that has been for the the bad. It's amazing how every single thing has brought me closer to people. Um, it has, in, in, in the tragedy, it has brought us, it has brought me things. It got, my sponsor had said, keep looking for where God is working. And some, some like, um, in looking back on my mother's death, I realized that, um, there's some things that I probably would have never accomplished if, if it wasn't for that. As, as um, contrived as that sounds, um, 
because um, I was in a cocoon at the time, and I was the type that was afraid of branching out, and I had no other course to take but to branch out at the time. And later on in life, as tragedies happened, uh, when my daughter was going through a divorce, um, it, my heart was breaking for her, and I was able to say that. Um, you know, there was nothing I could do for her at the time. And it just, it, it brought us so close to, to each other that um, when it happened, when a tragedy happens, it's a shock. But as my sponsor said, start looking around for what, for the good in it. Thank you. I've heard most of the panel speak about finding God. However, being a true atheist, I'm not looking for God. How can I recover? I'm open to believing in a higher power, though, I, so I find it hard to distinguish the two. Um, when I first started, you know, I had, a, as I said, I had a really hard time with the higher power thing. And so, um, you know, I, even though I thought it was sacrilege at the time, my sponsor said I could have, have my higher power be whatever I wanted it to be because I knew I needed a higher power because I was powerless. So I needed something greater than myself. So I started out with the doorknob theory. I don't know if you've ever heard the doorknob theory, but doorknob theory is that uh, there's a doorknob and there's me. Doorknob has no problem with compulsive overeating. I do. Therefore, the doorknob is a power greater than myself. And so I turned my will on my life. And this is how I started. This is really, I, I meant to share this earlier, so it worked out. That I turned my will on my life over to the care of the doorknob because the doorknob was a power greater than myself. Um, I know other people make, you know, the group, the fellowship of OA, their, their home group, their higher power. There's, there's a lot of higher powers that are out there that available and they can be whatever works you know and I, I really like what was shared earlier that you know the you know you can't put limits on a higher power you know and you don't even have to call it god you could just call it a higher power and because if it's a power greater than me then it's my higher power and um, it doesn't have to be you know the white guy in the sky with the beard and the robes or it doesn't have to be any of that type of stuff that that doesn't work for me so that's why that's not my higher power so i hope that helps thanks I feel like you are all saying that you cannot be an atheist agnostic and get recovery. That you have to have that you have to believe in God to get well. How do you explain recovery to someone then who is a true atheist agnostic? Sounds very similar, but maybe someone could. It can't uh, with with me since I am by nature an atheist. It came down to the bottom line that I wanted to stay abstinent. It was like, do this or go back. And I was not, I didn't want to go back to the life I was living and the death, the way I was dying. I had a light in me, a candle that I felt was flickering out And um, when I came into OA. And that was, that's what I considered my spirit. My spirit was dying. And um, so I just pretend that there's a higher power out there. I, you know, it's too important to me to not pretend. So I do that. And like I said, if I analyze it, I'm in trouble because I, I don't believe. So 
So I just act as if I believe, and it takes me through. That's, that's what does it for me. I, I care enough about my abstinence to, to pretend. That's the bottom line. How do you handle hearing the God word and him all the time? Um, well, what I do is somebody said this once in a meeting and they said, you know, it's just a pronoun. <laughs> and that really made a big, you know, I don't feel the need to have to change words. It's just a pronoun. It doesn't mean anything to me. So it doesn't bother me. It's just a pronoun. Do you believe that you can really fully recover without a God? Not for me. Um, I tried. I tried many ways. I tried my own thing. When I came in the program, like I said, my last diet lasted an hour. That was the best I could do. When I tapped into a source greater than myself, then miraculous things started to happen. Anytime I eat half a meal of what I plan to eat, that's a miracle. That's a power greater than myself taking over and doing for me what I can't do for myself. Um, I don't think what you call it is important. I think having it is important. And from what I've heard in this program and others, if you don't have it, you're not going to make it in this program. You know, and that's just what I believe. Thanks. I just wanted to say that um, I don't believe that. Um, I don't know if it works without it. I don't know. And that's why I got palpitations when I read in the big book that we must develop. That's our defense against the first bite. So I don't know. But I'm not, I don't like the other side. I don't want to take a chance on not doing it because I couldn't stop eating. I was, I was, I just couldn't stop. My life was miserable. I was wearing dirty clothes, walking around my house thinking, what do I feel like doing today? I just felt like doing nothing, eating. What, what, what's to eat? That, and, and this is literally true. That's exactly how I was existing. You know, clean, trying to get the house in order before my husband was coming home from work. And he would come home and think, and say, say to me, after I had a binge, I felt so lethargic. And he would say, what's for dinner? And I felt like throwing up in his face because I, I was so stuffed by that time. But as soon as it settled after 10 minutes, I was ready, you know, for the next one. So I, I can't take the chance. I can't take the risk. They, this, is, this is the program. This is what they suggest. This is what I have to do. I feel like I've had a man-in-the-sky kind of God or a punishing God. How do you believe that some power will help you when you either believe that or don't believe in a God at all? Well, what, what happened for me is that I, um, as I was sharing earlier, that uh, I did have the man in the sky, and I didn't realize that I had the choice whether or not I wanted to believe in that or not until my sponsor said, you don't have to believe that. <laughs> Just because you were raised with that and these people in these robes told you that doesn't mean it's true, and it doesn't mean you have to believe it. So that's, that, I think that was the turning point for me is that, I hey, I, I have a choice. Even though, as I was saying earlier, oh, that's sacrilege. You can't just come up with God or a higher power. But you know what? That's what I had to do. And, you know, 
you know, this this whole, you know, talking about these things, um, you know, for me, this disease is a life and death situation. Because if I eat, I will die. Because I'll kill myself. You know, I know that now. And I, I'm, I'm shocked that I never did before because there was no hope for me, you know. And so, you know, it's kind of funny that uh, how I can get about stuff and, you know, be on my high horse about something. But the truth is that, you know, if I want this program to work, then I have to do the things that it says. And it gives me lots and lots of room, you know, lots of room. And I can I can have it be however it works for me. And I just have to be willing and open to um, to whatever possibility is out there for a higher power that's going to work for me. And, um, you know, or don't believe in God at all. Um, you know, that's okay if you don't believe in God at all. You don't have to believe in God. All you have to believe, and they call it God here for probably lack of a better word. But, you know, for me, I just have to believe in something greater than me. You know, whatever that is, there has to be something greater than me that's going to solve this problem because I can't solve this problem that I have. You know, and so I have to let go of the debating society, let go of the is there or isn't there or what is it or all that stuff because you know what? It really doesn't matter that much, you know. What matters is that that I am in recovery today and that the compulsion with food is lifted from me. And that's the most important thing. If we changed God to higher power in our steps, would that work for you? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, just to add on too, from the last one too, I forgot my uh, my sponsor. You know, his acronym for God is the Great Outdoors, and I've also heard Good Orderly Direction. So if you can convert it and use it that way, uh, it works. We have two more questions. I've been trying to answer, read all of the questions from the box, so we're beginning to hear some of the same type of, of questions. How can you recover in OA? when you really don't believe there's something outside of me that will help me? Shouldn't God be helping the poor, the abused, etc.? I really think God's inside of me, not outside of me. Um, it's, I know there's, there's someone um, in OA that um, has years of recovery that always says, you know, he, he felt that the God factor was um, uh, very difficult for him to accept because of what happened to the Holocaust for all the Jews. And he says he does the next right thing. That, that's what he does. He just does what, he, what his mind knows is the next right thing. And I think that's really what it is deep inside of me, too. It's the next. It's that my mind knows the next right thing to do, and um, and that's all it is. It's in, it's inside of me. It's not outside of me. This is our last question. <clears throat> Can you further describe what higher power your what your higher power is? What do you want it to be in your life? You know, I have a hard time describing 
What is my higher power? Um, and I almost feel like it's a big secret, and I don't want to tell anybody, and I, I don't know why. But I guess I feel like, oh, maybe you won't believe it, that that's really a higher power, and then I'm fucked. You know, I don't know. Oh, sorry. Um, but, you know, I guess what I describe as my higher power is that still small voice within that is, as I was saying earlier, that, that like, um, that instinct to, for survival. That, that part of me that, that's inside of me that is, that is not affected by the disease in my head. Um, so that, that's, what I, that's what it is. And what I want it to be in my life is um, something that helps me live in recovery. So when situations come up or, um, you know, relationships, I have trouble in relationships with other people or, you know, I'm struggling with some feelings that I want that higher power. I want to be able to, to call on that higher power to help me. And a lot of time my prayer is, God, I used to have a lot of different prayers, but now my, my prayer is, God, please just help me to do your will. And that's all I can say. Help me do your will. Or if I'm having trouble with somebody else, I say, help them do your will. <laughs> and, I have, and then I have to stop thinking about it. Stop obsessing about the problem or start, stop, you know, like, okay, what, what's the answer? What do I got to do? You know, I have to just, God, please help me do your will. And then I have to just go do something else, think about something else, get out of myself somehow. Usually that does the trick. You know, make a phone call and find out how someone else is doing. Um, you know, do something for somebody. Uh, I really like in that for today thing, it says you'll do a good deed for somebody and not get found out if, if someone finds out it doesn't count. You know, and that is so good for me to just get out of myself and um, and let let the process, the the flow of the universe, the manifest destiny, whatever it is, you know, let it just unfold. You know, because I think that 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 seems to be how things happen. Things just happen. I don't have to do anything. You know, I just have to get out of the way and quit obsessing in my own head, and then just let let it happen. And and uh, and God God's running the show. Thanks. It is now time to close this session. Let's thank our speakers, everyone who shared, and all that have done service for this session. Please stand. Join hands, and as we close the me as we close the meeting with the promise, I put my hand in yours. <laughs>